All right, we are live with Matt Weiss on the Sword and Shovel podcast. <laughs> I'm, I'm so stoked that we get down this time because when I think about you, Matt, I think about how your life is. I knew your dad before I knew you, yep. and and then when your dad, and mom started coming to our church, and you, you and Sue started coming, and the kids, and and there was a whole contention of folks that I knew from Hawthorne Lawndale, and they get to know you. And one of my first memories of you is. The bear costume at, at Fort Men's Retreat yep. and jumping out and scaring people and uh, and then you know you were the guy that that liked to play hard. You I mean you worked hard and you played hard. You crawled under our house and did our piping, but then you had toys and you you went out to the desert. You did things that a lot of us wanted to do, but you made time for it. And then you moved to Texas and broke our hearts. And uh, we have a lot of fun teasing each other uh, on Facebook, but uh, you know. Um, that California has everything, but we don't have everything. But you know, we don't have Matt and Sue anymore. That's true. Um, but what I want to talk about is your story, and we'll just bounce around and follow the bouncing ball, so to speak. But you and Sue have a great marriage and amazing kids that I adore, and I and all of you guys. But I know it didn't start that way. I mean, it didn't start. It 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 looks like it was just it moved all in the, in the natural progression of events. But it got out of order. Tell, tell me about that or tell us about that. So me and Sue started dating. We got engaged. And um, I went on a missions trip, which I was out there trying to serve the Lord. But I was also doing things that I shouldn't have been doing, that we shouldn't have been doing. Hmm. And we came up pregnant. Uh, you know, my dad was the lead pastor of a church. And pastor's son is now going to be a dad. And, um, you know... Being 20 years old, finding out that you're about to have a kid and life is now changing, uh, you know, is it's it's a scary proposition, mm-hmm. um, and we we definitely got things out of balance uh, in that aspect. But what we needed to do was first, let's get the ring on it, let's get <laughs> married. So we we went ahead and moved up our wedding date, and we got married, and um, you know, six months later, Nathan was born. Wow. What was a wedding like for a pastor's kid whose bride-to-be is pregnant? Was, was, that, a, was that a celebration? What was, was there a sense of, like, embarrassment? How, I mean, as you recall, looking back. It, um, one of the scariest moments was telling my parents and sure. telling her parents, of course, yeah. that we were pregnant. Um, it didn't become public knowledge to the church because it was none of their business. Hmm. Um, we we kept it within our circle, and the people that needed to know knew. Mm. Um, I didn't necessarily have any embarrassment, because since I can remember, I was always the black sheep, to, uh, so to say, and and I just, you know, I had a, a rough, you know, I chose a rough life, mm-hmm. and um, people would try to compare me to my sister, who was always doing the right things, and mm. and I was like, I'm not the same person I'm not her mm-hmm. and they would compare me to other kids that were you know bust in from the inner city to our church and you know they're like oh well, those kids those are inner city kids mm-hmm. you know why is pastor's kid doing the same thing mm-hmm. and those are my friends mm-hmm. and maybe I wasn't necessarily the best influence on them and and vice versa right um, but I spent a lot of my um, upbringing trying to prove people right Mm. You think I'm bad? Let me show you this. 
<laughs> and uh, you know, it's not necessarily the path that I would want for for anyone else, or, or but that was the path, yeah, that I took, and you know, so to to end up as a uh, you know a, a father to be outside of wedlock, um, it's kind of just par for my path, yeah, <laughs> and it, it honestly just kind of enhances God's greatness. Amen. Yeah, because his greatness is found in, in his grace. Isn't yes, it? absolutely. What did your folks do right? I mean, I, knowing your folks the way that I do, and knowing how gracious they are, um, I'm sure they did. It, we're all imperfect, but what did they what did they do right in that time for you and Sue? Um, they they were understanding to a certain extent, and they they didn't. Um, they didn't judge us for it, mm. and I think that that's really important. You know, when you're going through something, the the last thing you need is somebody to, to point out that you're doing something wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you do need times where people will correct you in love, and you need those people for sure. But I think that um, the way that they handled it, and we're on our team and supportive in the sense that we were going to be moving things up. And, and getting things as back in line as we could, mm-hmm. uh, given the circumstance. Right. So what decisions did you and Sue have to make in the beginning? So now you're basically a kid's having a kid. Um, and are you distancing yourself from other people? Or are you drawing closer to people, a little bit of both? I mean, you, now you're... You know, and you guys could have done a lot of things. You guys could have had an abortion. You guys could have adopted, had put Nathan up for adoption. But you went forward, and I would say courageously. What decisions did you guys make along the way in the beginning, especially? Well, abortion was never on the table for okay. us. Um, that that was never going to happen. Um, it wasn't going to be uh, the demise of our future offspring because we made a mistake. There you go. That's that's a conviction that you hold. Absolutely. Even even in the middle of that, it didn't change your convictions. Yes, and and quite honestly, adoption wasn't an option for us either. Um, I had a I had a career that I was making decent money. Um, I wasn't ready to be a father necessarily, but you make your bed, you lay in it, and you you put your boots on every day, and you go to work, and you make it work, hmm. and you figure out a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. And if you can't make it work that way, you figure out another way to make it work. Um, and, you know, we were 21 when he was born and, you know, married at that point for about six months. And before he turned a year old, I quit my job and started our own business that just, we got to make this work. And at that time, we didn't have a lot of money. We were new parents and trying to get it figured out. Mm-hmm. But we needed to we need to forge our own way. Right. And so, at twenty one, new baby, newly married. Now we're going to start a business. Perfect. Let's put everything against us, <laughs> and and see how we come out the other side of it. Right. So, what was that like? Your was that plumbing? Yeah. So, so now you're hustling in a new business that you're self-employed. Yep. Talk about that first year. Uh, it was rough, really rough. Uh, I was working about 17 hours a day, uh, trying to make ends meet. I was working a part job, part-time job in the evenings to, to guarantee that rent was going to be paid, and um, it was hard. 
it was hard on me physically it was hard on her because i wasn't around and she was at home with a brand new baby mm. um so again put all the cards on the table stack them against me stack them against my family and we'll watch god do his thing mm. and and some people might let that make them bitter I don't know you to be bitter. I know you to be a man who's focused, intentional, intense, but not bitter. How do you how do you avoid the bitterness when you start stacking cards and say, bring it on, and not give in to resentment? I don't think that bitterness does anything for anybody. Um, I, I think that it's like a festering wound that eventually mm-hmm. it's going to, you know, it's it, you know, if you have a wound on your leg and you keep picking at it and it gets infected and, and all these other things before, you know, it, you have sepsis and, and it's, it's not good for anything. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not good for your, your mental health. It's not good for your heart. It's not good for the people around you. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were times where I was bitter about things and mostly I'd come home from working 17 hours and there wasn't a hot meal mm. or there were toys on the floor. Oh, and, and those were the trigger points for me because mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling that I was being respected for my efforts. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, she wasn't feeling loved because I was never around. And, and that's why I say that I, I think that for a man, respect is more important than love. You know, if God wanted us to love our spouses and each of us love each other the same, he would have told us so. Yeah. But we talked a moment ago about Ephesians and you said Susan, Ephesians' wife. and. I had to dial up for a second what you're talking about, but I know that when Paul says, husbands love your wives, as Christ loved the church, wives respect, submit to your husbands as the church does. He doesn't say, hey, love each other. Mm-hmm. Let's go on to the next topic. He has to delineate. And I think a lot of that goes back to the fall. What was lost at the fall yeah. was love and leadership from the man who was passive. And then what was lost for the wife was respect. I mean, how do you respect a man that doesn't say anything to, to the serpent, right? Yeah. So it's being redeemed. Um, so take us through, like, okay, so you're coming home from work. You're agitated. She's agitated. You're not there for her to love her the way you want to. You're not getting what you need. How do you bounce back from that? What Was there a moment when you said to yourself, okay, Matt, I, I need to... Instead of looking at her, I need to look at me. How sure. do I make that adjustment? So for us, it was it was a long time, right? And it was a long time coming. Um, after about a year or so, year and a half of marriage, we found out we were going to have another child. Hmm. And so again, stack them all up against us, you know, <laughs> and um, and that just compounded some of the problems, and and. Um, about a year or so after that and and just a really unhappy marriage for both of us uh in the very beginning Mm. and you know another year or so goes by and we're gonna have another kid and it just it was more and more and more pressure um that literally only by the grace of god we got through uh spent a lot of time in counseling uh which we probably should have done premarital counseling Uh, well we didn't you know and it we did postmarital counseling, mm-hmm. and we had to make a choice: Are we going to be another statistic of a failed marriage, mm. or are we going to work on it 
and and what's more important to us. Mm-hmm. Neither one of us wanted to be unhappy. Neither one of us wanted to argue and fight in front of our kids. And we certainly didn't want to raise our kids with us arguing and fighting all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it came a time after months of counseling and quite frankly, thousands of dollars spent that this was worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. And the light bulb turned on, I think for both of us. And we were able to share certain things. She said, well, I don't feel loved. And I said, well, I don't care about love. I said, I don't feel respected. And, you know, she read a book and, um, I knew that she drew a lot from it and it was a book called love and respect. I don't know the author, but, um, it helped her see a different perspective. And as I started seeing a change in her, it inspired me to also try to change. Um, you know, for the better and, and really plug a little bit more into the Word of God, even though I'd been raised around it my entire life. Right. But now you have a different relationship with the Word of God because it's it's much more, I need this. Absolutely. What What's one thing that you think you had to adjust as you were now responding to Susie's new, you know, that she finds this book, this un- unpacks Ephesians 5, and the light bulb goes on for both of you. Can you think of a something that you had to consciously adapt to or, or rethink how you were doing something? Yeah, I think um, one of the things for me is since I wasn't feeling respected, and you know, obviously I didn't know how to love my wife the way that she needed to be loved, um, that kept me from doing that was hidden sins. Mm. And I had to make a conscious effort that, you know, I, I didn't have a smartphone for a long, long time mm. because I couldn't trust myself with a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times where I wouldn't go in the house if she wasn't home mm. because I couldn't trust myself with the computer. And, you know, that the old saying that, that your sins will find you out, 100% true. She was like a bloodhound when it came to that. If she had an inkling that something wasn't right, right, she would find it. Yeah. And... I just, um, I mean, I've moved a, a, a pile of firewood from one side of my yard to the other just to kill time until she got home because I knew I couldn't go in that house. Wow. Um, and I think that um, finding people to keep you accountable, people that you respect to keep you accountable, um, definitely is, is something that's 100% worthwhile. That's a... I love that story, Matt, and, and I, I understand it because um, because of my sin and my downfall. Um, you know, that we learn from the life of David that a man who's isolated and bored is probably not too far from trouble. Yes. And you recognized, hey, I mean, and, and it may have come that Sue found some things and, and then opportunity arose, gave you the chance to do that. and. There's, I mean, countless millions of men that, you know, are struggling in the same way you were, but not making the decision to avoid opportunity, Mm -hmm. you know. And you made the decision, I'm not going to get the smartphone, I'm not going to go in the house and have access to the Internet. Um, How would you, what would you say to the guy that, that right now is kind of, he's got a couple little kids, his wife's no longer... She's busier than she used to be. Things aren't like they used to be with intimacy. 
and he's making room for, or he's believing the lie that the internet provides, or you know, things are continuing to go a direction, artificial intelligence, there's all these different ways that men can look outside of marriage and have that immediate gratification. Um, you mentioned accountability. What does, that look, what does that look like to you? What does it mean to be accountable to another man or other men? So for myself, I found a, uh, a group at another church and it was a church that I hadn't attended. Um, I needed to not be in my church mm-hmm. to yeah. find this accountability. Right. Um, and it was a it was a church based, uh, basically a twelve step program for people with addiction. Mm. And uh, I think if I remember the name, it was um, like walking into freedom or, or something along okay. those lines. And you know, there were times where I went in there, and the question was, you know, how how you doing? And you know, it's a tricky question. Isn't staring it? somebody in the face and saying, "Well, I screwed up this week." You yeah, know, yeah, it puts more on you. But the reason guys don't talk about it is because they're shame. Mm-hmm. And the more you talk about it, and the more you have people that aren't judging you for it, they just want to see you do better. Mm-hmm. The shame goes away. You mentioned respect, and and I want to see if this was your experience. You come into a group like that. You you talk about what's really going on, and what you be, what you think the beginning is. No one's going to respect me for being this for for what I'm thinking, what I'm doing. And what happens is, after you share your story or your your pitfalls, your mistakes, your sin, something unusual happens. Guys respect you for being honest. Yeah. Being up. They're not respecting you for your sin. Of yeah. course. they're they're saying. Hey, I respect your authenticity. I respect your transparency. Yeah, did you experience sure. that? I did experience that. And our group, I mean, there was a, a myriad of guys um, that were there for for pornography. There were guys that were there for alcoholism, gambling. And, I mean, quite frankly, the group was so welcoming. If, if chewing your fingernails is keeping you from being who you're supposed to be with the Lord, welcome to the group. We didn't care. Right on. And nobody got judged for, for what they did. They just wanted everyone to get... The help that they needed, um, camaraderie, and you know, at the end of everything, you know, there was there was a little ceremony at that church where they bring you up on stage. Well, who wants to be known as one of the guys, <laughs> one of the twelve guys that just went through this recovery group? Right. But you know what? If the other eleven get on stage, so can I. Mm-hmm. I can put my pride down. Amen. Um, and, and I can go up on stage and, and say, Hey, yeah, I did this. I got through it. So there's going to be guys listening to this podcast that are thinking, I can't go to one of those meetings. I can't walk into a room of strangers. Or maybe I'll recognize someone from work or one of my kids' soccer teams or whatever. Talk to the guy that's debating whether or not to go into some kind of a group where they're going to be known for what they do. or They're going to be known for the things that they're ashamed of. Yeah. Um, What's more important? Is, is your sin more important than your family and your recovery? Mm-hmm. You have to make a personal choice on that. Mm-hmm. For me, it was it was easy. My family is more important than my sin. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, does that mean I'm not going to struggle with my sin? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. There's going to be days that are harder than others. Uh, you know, and even to this day, there's days where I have idle time and it's like, no, no, I can't do this. I can't fall back into this mm-hmm. because I know where it took me before. Mm-hmm. And those are, if I didn't have the tools in my toolbox to help me through those days, 
who knows where I would be or if, whether my wife would stick around for it. I don't know that she would go for another round of this. Right. So I look at what's more important. What's more important? It's a clarifying question, isn't it? Not a hard question. It's simple. It's, it's, the, it's the simplest question to ask and the hardest question to answer sometimes. You know, the, the quick answer is, well, my family's more important. But your actions aren't dictating that. Right. So what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know, there's a couple of stories in the Bible and the New Testament when Jesus encounters, and one in particular, he encounters a, a man lame, can't walk, and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And I just imagine Peter going, what are you doing? Like, come on, Jesus. Like, yeah. the guy wants to walk. But I think there's something about asking the question and getting some buy-in or making making them declare. Sure. I want to walk. Okay. Yeah. You know, what do you want? What's more important to you, your sin or your family or yeah. your, your career or your, you know, all those things. But yeah. it starts with desire, doesn't it, to some degree? Like, which one do you want the most? Yeah. I mean, that's... It, it's real simple it was a simple answer for me right my family was more important than my sin um, now for the next guy that may not have a family he may have a different he may have a different answer well what's more important if you're in a professional career and you know you get caught going to massage parlors that's that could end your professional career so what's more important for, for the single guy your reputation your career you know well, and, and then I'm talking to guys that were that were single or in their in their mid twenties, porn addicts, got married, and they're having a hard time getting an erection because they're so used to being stimulated by porn mm-hmm. that being in a in, in a marriage covenant, they're it's just they can't it's they can't do it. They have to unlearn. The the problem with that is. It's such an unrealistic expectation. Mm-hmm. It's not real life. What's on, you know, what you're looking at in a magazine or online, or that's not real life. And when it comes to light, your wife is going to be damaged because she's going to. Well, I'm not good enough. Right. And then the next time you're intimate, she's going to be wondering, well, is he thinking about all that other stuff? Right. And. You know, so the best thing to do is just stay away from it from the start. Right. Um, unfortunately, that's not the the world we live in now. It's it's everywhere, and it's just in your face. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not thinking about it, you know, right there in the moment, you flip through Facebook, and there's something, and it's it's hard to swipe away sometimes, mm-hmm. and it's real easy to push that button and keep looking. Yeah, and for for men. The tendency is to minimize it and say, "Well, it, nothing happened. It was mm-hmm. victimless." But, like you said, you put you try to put yourself in the mindset of a of a wife, and which for most of us as men is hard to do. But to realize we're creating uh, a well, wonder what he's thinking about, and I wonder if he's thinking about her. I wonder if he's thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And it's the you know keeping the marriage bed pure before marriage and during marriage is work. Absolutely, and it's counterculture. Yeah, it's it's counterculture, and and quite honestly, that's one of the reasons I'm as hard as I am on my kids. You know, I want to make sure that they're not in the positions that I was in, mm. that they don't have access to to do the things that I that I did. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I don't want them to experience life; it's because I love them more than the experience. Right. And 
it just it just balances itself out. Now they may think I'm mean for not letting them go to this party. Well, I know what happens at the parties. I was a kid once. I know. And I don't want them to be in those situations because I don't want them to have some of the regrets that I have. Right. So So you Haley is your middle and she is at an age where she's dating. Mm-hmm. And the requirement is that if you're going to date my daughter, you got to date me first. So the requirement is if you're going to even want to take my daughter anywhere, <laughs> you're going to have a conversation with me. And we're going to set some very firm, unmistakable ground rules. And um, I don't necessarily have the same expectations with my sons. Although my sons, if they wanted to date a girl, they should go talk to the dad first. It's just a respect thing. Mm -hmm. And that's going to influence and impact their dating life that that young man, whether it's my son going or my daughter's friend, boyfriend coming over to my house and having a a real sit down conversation with me prior to taking her anywhere and getting to hear my ground rules about how this is my baby first. This is my daughter, this is my little girl, and I would do anything to protect her uh, and keep her from from feeling hurt. And if you're going to take her and you're going to, you know, try to do what teenage boys think about all day long, that's not going to work for me. You know, you can go find somebody else because she's not the one. Uh, But if you're receptive to my ground rules and you stay around first the you know past the first dozen or so veiled threats then um okay you can take her out on a date you know and with the boys you do you require them or urge them to be the same version of that you mentioned that goes go talk to the girl's dad right if they're going to take a girl out and do they and what do they know about your story do they understand the the warnings that you have as a father they know um, they know a lot about the stuff that I've done um, I wouldn't say they know everything but they know a lot of the stuff that I've done mm-hmm. and everything that I do as a father is intentionally done to keep them out of harm's way mm-hmm. and you know nowadays parents want to be their their kids friend right well I don't I want my kids to like and appreciate me, right? But I want them to respect me. Mm -hmm. And I really am not interested in being their friend. Mm -hmm. Now, later on when they're of age and they get married and have kids of their own, hey, we can be friends. But my first and foremost position on it is I'm their provider and protector, whether it's my sons or my daughter. Amen. And I'm not here to be your friend. There's too many dads out there now that are so focused on, well, if I do this, my kids won't like me. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, put your big boy pants on and be a man. Period. Yeah. It's, it's not a time to be passive when when your kid's future is on the line. That's right. You know? Right. It, it goes back to what do you want. Do you yep. want your kids to like you, or do you want them do you want them to grow up and become mature adults? Yeah, absolutely. You use the word intentional. And again, and I, I pick up on that because that's a big reason why I'm such a big fan of yours. I remember we talked a couple of years ago when you were when you were working on the rigs, and we were talking about the job offer that you'd gotten and the negotiation that you you kind of put them through to get what you needed. Mm-hmm. Remember that conversation? I do. 
tell, talk about, you know, about being assertive in protecting and providing. You knew, even as you left California for Texas to into a world that you didn't know much about, but you knew that you brought value and you knew that there was a price that you needed to get to make it worth your while to leave your plumbing business mm-hmm. into a completely different world. What was that like? So I think we have to rewind it just a little yeah, bit back yeah. before we get to that. Uh, I mean, we were born and raised in California and moving, you know, halfway across the country to a city we didn't know much about um, with no house to move into, no jobs to go to. It was really a journey of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I woke up one morning and God had told me, you need to go. And so I rolled over and told my wife, hey, uh, we're going to sell our house that we just bought and we're going to close the business and we're going to move. And her thing was like, okay, great. Sounds nice. What are you going to do? I said, I don't know. (laughs) And, and I asked her, I said, do you trust me? Mm. And she said, of course I trust you. I said, well, this is what God is telling me. I have to trust him, so this is what we're going to do. And so we moved our kids out to Texas before we moved and came home and sold our house. Yeah. And it sold in two days for the exact dollar amount that we needed, Mm -hmm. which is only a God thing. Mm -hmm. And we moved. We still had no house to live in, you know, no jobs to go to, and, and, um, and, just trusting that God was going to provide it and figure it out for us because he didn't tell us why we're moving. He just said, you're moving. And so I eventually, you know, about a month or so of living there, we had, we now had a rental and renting a house with no income, no jobs to, to write down on the, on the rental form. Um, was an interesting thing. Yeah. And, but we got the house and a month later I got the job. Uh, out in the oil field and and so I worked out there and then COVID came around and kind of crashed everything and got laid off so I I can't just sit home and do nothing I've got it I've got to do something I got to be productive so I went ahead and I got my plumbing license in Texas uh, which gave me the ability to to make money and make an income for my family and then I got the phone call back from the oil field and I said well, I'm going back to the old field. It was hard, arduous work, but I really enjoyed it. And I didn't enjoy being gone half the year, but I enjoyed the work, the physicality of it, and the camaraderie of the guys that I worked with. Some of the best guys I've known mm. came out of the old field. Some of the worst guys I know came out of the old field. Mm. And um, so there's just a mix of it, and you you got to decide what you're going to do with the mix that you get them. When when uh, the plumbing company that I currently work for uh, called me unsolicited and said, hey, we want to interview you, it was another one of those like, okay, God, what are you trying to do? So I went out, had a meal with the, the uh, CEO and, and one of the, uh, the CFO and um, had a decent lunch, but I told him, I said, I think plumbing's dumb. I, don't, I hate plumbing. <laughs> which is probably the worst thing you can say when they're interviewing you for sure. a plumbing company. Right. And they said, well, you're our guy. Oh, and I was like, I don't know that you know what you're asking me, <laughs> you know? 
And um, so I, I went home and me and Sue prayed about it a little bit. And and it, was, it wasn't clear cut. It wasn't like, yeah, you're supposed to take this opportunity. Then I got a call from the, the general manager of the plumbing company the next day. And she said, hey, we're supposed to call you to set up a meeting with you and get to meet you. So, okay, well, I'll go have another free lunch. At this point, there was still no offer on the table. On my drive home, they called me and said, hey, uh, tomorrow we're going to have a Zoom meeting. Can you, you know, make sure that you're on it? I said, sure, no problem. I can do that. No idea how to use Zoom. My wife ran the business from the, the office side for 15 years, and I didn't send emails. But now I'm, now I'm tasked with setting up a Zoom call. So, of course, <laughs> I go home and tell my wife to promptly figure it out. She's like, oh, it's easy. Okay, cool. And um, we just, they threw out a, an offer and I shot it down because it was, it wasn't going to be what I needed in mm. order to take care of my family. Now, I did settle on a number that wasn't what I wanted, but it allowed me to be home every night. Mm. And so I put a monetary value on, on being home over being gone. Interesting. And so I, I took the job. And I went back to the oil field one last time and said, "Hey, just so you know, this is my this is my notice. I will not be back for the next round." And um, left there on my own terms. Mm. During COVID, when everyone got laid off, it wasn't on my terms, mm. and that left a really bitter taste in my mouth that um, it wasn't finished. Mm -hmm. When I walked away on my own terms, it. Uh, it left me a sense of, I'll be okay. Wow. And within four months, I was the vice president of the plumbing company. Wow. So it uh, it worked out. And it, it's, a, it's a testament of faith, packing up and moving halfway across the country with no known purpose, just that we're supposed to be here. And right. why God said, move to Frisco, Texas, over anywhere else in Texas, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. Um, he's still unpacking why we're there. Amen. Um, and, but that's, that's not for me to know right now right. because he hasn't told me. Right. My job is to be obedient. Amen. So, so what a great ride. What a great story. And you're in a, in a is Genesis, Genesis Metro. Tell us about your church, which I want to go to and love, even not having put my foot in the door. So, Genesis Metro is is truly a church of authentic people. Mm. Um, a lot of churches are really legalistic, and GM is is all about people. They want you to come where you are, how you are, just just be there. Um, they really put an emphasis on strong men, which is great because the world is full of not strong men, to say it nicely. Um, and so strong men in leadership, um, and, and that next generation are the biggest, uh, things that we really, really love about GM. Of course, sound doctrine, things like that. Um, and, and a good teaching of the word. Hmm. Talk to, as we wrap it up, talk to a 22 year old guy coming out of college trying to figure out which way to go. Let's, let's, let's reframe that. 18 years, coming out of high school, 
He's got a diploma like your son's age, like Nate's age. And he's wondering, what do I do? And you, you guys are at the men's retreat together and you guys end up you know, in the same cabin. And he says, Matt, what do I, I'm, I'm not sure what I should do with my life. What are you, you going to tell him? Well, first thing I would ask him, like, well, what, do you, what do you enjoy? What are your hobbies? Right? Like, can you make a living off of a hobby? Because if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work. Hmm. You just enjoy your hobbies. Right. And you get paid to do your hobbies. Right? Um, where do you find fulfillment? Hmm. Uh, those would be the questions that I ask. Like, I mean, do you like people? Do you not want to be around people? Like, you really have to figure it out. And I think it's an individual thing. But those are some of the first questions I would ask. Um, to a young man that's trying to get it figured out. That's great. And I'd also tell him to join join a church with a strong you know, uh, young adults program, things like that, so he's around people, his peers. And as you see your peers doing well, you're going to want to also do well. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's something that you didn't really quite think of. Yeah. You know, for my son, he always loved animals. Well, he wanted to be a veterinarian. He didn't want to go to school to be a veterinarian. But how can he how can he work with animals to a certain extent with a, a diploma from high school? He applied for Frisco Police Department Animal Control Service or Animal Services, and he got hired. Perfect. And you know now he's on a path where he's one of the senior officers there. And if he wants to eventually move into the police department, there's a pathway. If he decides he wants to go to the fire department, there's a pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really figuring out what you enjoy. Yeah, I'm going to give you one question phrased two ways. We're going to this will be your, our last question. We talked a lot at men's Bible study about the men around your life. So here's question one, and I'll, and I'll give you question two to think about. First question is, what kind of men do you need around you, Matt Weiss? What kind of men do you need around you to thrive and flourish? And question two is, what kind of man are you to have around? So let's go with the first question first. What kind of men do you need for you to thrive? What kind of men do you need around you? I need men around me that are willing to call me out, you know, in a biblical sense, um, when I'm not necessarily doing exactly what I need to be doing, but I need them to be strong men um, that, I mean, most of the time the guys I hang out with are, are relatively like-minded. Um, so I don't I don't really have too many issues with that. Uh, but I, I definitely need strong, godly men around me that are willing to call me out on my BS when, when I'm in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, what kind of man are you to have around? I believe that I've grown enough in my faith to where I'm a I'm a strong godly man that's willing to call somebody out on their BS. <laughs> and sometimes it's it's you know taken well, right. and sometimes it's not. Right. Um, and, and it really just boils down to where that person is in their walk. Yeah. I mean, isn't that what iron sharpens iron is all about? Absolutely. It's not iron sharpening cotton. Yeah. It's two blades that are sharp, that are, it, they're going to produce sparks. It's yep. going to be violent. It might be violent. It might yep. be rough. It might be scary, but that's what we're to be to each other. Absolutely. Matt, I, this was everything I hoped it would be and more. I've been thinking about this conversation with you in person for a long time. And when we 
talked about the podcast. You said, hey, I'm going to be in town. Let's do this face-to-face. I couldn't yeah. have been more happy. So. Absolutely. Matt, um, hope have you back on the podcast in the future. And um, great to have you. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity, and we'll have to do part two soon. Amen. Thanks, Matt. All right, brother.